as I thought I'd have. Uh, the life of an entrepreneur and a self and a, and a, 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 uh, personal businessman, uh, a business owner. <laughs> as you can see, I haven't had enough coffee for this show yet. Oh dear. <laughs> Crash and burn in the first 20 seconds. Crash so I did burn. get my decaf though, hoping that there'd be something lurking in it that was good for me. Is that oat milk? No, it's a decaf Americano. So is an Americano a shot of espresso and a coffee? It's a shot of espresso and a bunch of water. Why don't they just call it bitch espresso? Well, well I guess a lot of Americano, people would be offended by that and not order it. I guess so they actually, secretly say that about me when they when I order it. It's I like, think that's why they call it Americano. The Italians are all fucking Americanos. Right. I could take a great coffee and fuck it up. So the proper thing to have would be just a an, a cup of espresso, right? Right. I'll just have an espresso. Actually, go. what I really like the most is an espresso because, you know, I'm verbose and I like to express myself. <laughs> Uh, Americano motherfucker! As usual, Greg is late to the game and angry. <laughs> Although we made it past one minute and, and he hasn't said anything dark any yet. <laughs> Say that again? And I wonder why I don't have any dates. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, speaking of which. Yeah. I went to a um, party on Wednesday, which oh. was a Dia de los Muertos party. Awesome. And I think I technically broke my diet because we had, we brought bacon wrapped dates. Oh my God. Yeah. you And salad. We, the, we counterbalanced that with a kale Caesar salad with <laughs> gluten-free croutons. There was all kinds of stuff there that I didn't eat, but I did. I was like, after I made them, I'm like, I gotta have one. They were, it was so good. Damn. Very sweet. The sweet and the salt and just and the pork oil and yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, if you start slaughtering your animals, I'd be fine breaking bread and eating meat with you. But when you're buying it from the store, I just can't do it. I appreciate your values, man. Right on. It's possible one day I'll join you there. Well, I got to say what it took for me was a very a visceral experience that really landed in my body. I of, should go take mushrooms and go to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Happy new year. <laughs> that, that's the title you can put on this week's podcast. Mushrooms at the slaughterhouse. <laughs> okay. That'll make people want to watch that, it for sure. Like people will definitely want to watch it. Then will want to listen to it then. Clickbait. Hey, don't we have an episode called This is Clickbait? If we don't, we should. Yeah. We'll do that next. Second one. Was. Oh, see, I don't I don't remember two back, so <laughs> reminded of doing the same podcast over and over a couple times. I think Wouldn't we have. Funny if like every Christmas you had the same experience as you did last year. That might oof. And there was, was no something, and I'm like, I'm no not going to say that. Wait, but there was no biological ramifications other than that 24 hour period. It was eight eight hours and an over overnight in the hospital. Okay, eight so hours. Technically, it was eight hours of who, what? what well, did you, you say? mean all of a sudden, like on the ninth hour, you started remembering? Well, it was your- like a gradual kind of waking up. And so, from my perspective, I have my memory of how that started to happen, but. Kathy has a different memory because it apparently it started a little bit before that. So like the window at first, it was like every three minutes I'd forget everything. 
in the short term. Like I still knew who I was and where I was born and, you know, how to sing Christmas songs and stuff like that. But, um, I think before I can remember anything, there was time where my memory, that period of time got longer. Right. And she was there all day with me. And then she went home and she was so relieved to go home and leave me in the hospital by myself (laughs) (laughs) because the poor girl, like she had spent eight hours with me every three minutes asking her the same questions. And then when the nurse comes by saying, Melikaliki Maka, how, you know, Melikaliki Maka is the thing to say. And of course, you know me, I think I'm funny and it's debatable whether I am. Um, and this, the nurses were still nice to me, like, you know, are paid to be. <laughs> yeah. <Thank> They're whores. <laughs> no, they didn't do that. That would have been good. Um, Apparently, Groundhog Day is not as entertaining as the movie makes it out to be. Well, it wasn't Groundhog Day in the sense, in that well, sense. Well, kind of yeah. was in the sense like you kept repeating things like, where are we? Yeah, but it only, it only lasted eight hours. I didn't wake up again and have right, to relive right. the whole day. Like, ooh. ooh. Speaking Which of Groundhog Day, you know, I like Bill Murray, but, you know, I, people have started to talk about him being a jerk. Oh, yeah. The Gina Davis thing is the one where I was like, oh, wow. I guess you weren't a nice guy, Bill. That's really too bad. He went through two marriages, so. (laughs) That's enough to make any man mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is the dating game episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Misogyny and irony live together in perfect harmony. Misogyny and harmony. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Oh, Lord, won't you buy me? Hey, so uh, you... Plastic love doll. Plastic love doll. That would be... (laughs) That would be painful. (laughs) Yeah. A rubber love doll. Oy, nothing nothing, of that says, nothing says I love you like rubber. <laughs> or, or latex. <clears throat> latex and whips. All right. Well, we're seven minutes in and we finally ran it oh, into the ground. Gosh, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We've managed to piss off everyone. If you're still listening, you should probably get a life. Oh, thanks. <laughs> wow. Way to support our podcast, Don Marcos. Damn. I named myself Don Marcos today because I spent this week watching the entire Godfather trilogy. <laughs> I really, when I heard about the the Francis Ford Coppola's recut of the third one, yeah. I was like, I can barely remember the first two. I really need to see it all before I watch that so that I can really absorb the way he re-put it together and get a sense of it. And um, I was so glad I did. Um, I I had a professional reason, too, which is that, uh, you know, I'm a coach, right? And one of my clients really loves the Godfather series, and he mentions it. And some of his behavioral patterns are somewhat modeled after mafioso types. And so it was part research. And part, you know, just entertainment for myself. And uh, I was fascinated by the first one, of course, is a brilliant work of art. I mean, anytime you got Marlon Brando, you're doing pretty good, or at least most times until uh, what was that one about the island, Island of Dr. Moreau or something? Right, right, right. Um, But the cinematography, the use of music, I'm half Italian. So I have this thing about Sicily that I want to know more about. So all of it really appealed to me. And then I wanted to understand the trajectory of, of Michael Corleone and what, what it was that motivated him. And, and, you know, it's interesting because the story breaks down to, he didn't want to join the family business. Some terrible stuff happened. He got pulled in because he was the only one really or he was mad. He got mad and he decided to be the one. I think that's actually a more apt. Well, and his brothers just weren't up for it. You know, right. the, the one was a playboy yeah. and the other one's just a simple milk toast. Yeah. Yeah. 
So he goes through all this success, quote unquote, mafia type success, and he manages to keep the family out of the drug trade in New York. Like, I think that's the one redeeming thing about it. It's like, well, we might deal with prostitution and gambling and murder, but we draw the line at drugs, (laughs) which is kind of silly. But ultimately, it was very, very interesting to watch because the style of cutting, of course, is that old, you know, 20th century style editing. Yeah, scenes play out a little on her. Yeah. And the third film didn't was horrible when I watched it the first couple of times I watched it. I really wanted to like it. And the new cut is a work of art. It's better. I don't know. It's not as, it's it's a work of art. It's a work of art. The whole way that the opera is a subtext of everything. Yes. yes. And all of the way the music cues come in and the cinematography, you know, Pacino plays it. Great. Yeah, it made sense. It was a good movie. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time late at night watching The Godfather. The Godfather's movie. The end of the second one I love with the, no, it's the end of the first, it's the end of the first one where the door closes on the bedroom with Michael Corleone and his wife's watching. And it's like the door is just closing between them. And he's, he's the Godfather. Is that the end of the first one? Uh, yeah. 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 That was so good. That was yeah. such a beautiful. Coppola knows how to make a fucking movie, man. Yeah, he's done some great movies. And uh, I'm ready to go back and watch Apocalypse now, too. Hey, did you ever see um, this no. one, one from the heart? <laughs> That's going to be hard. Yes. Did you ever see it. that one? I did. I I watched it on video. After it bombed in the theaters, I was like, I wanted to see this in the theaters. And I was like, well, and he used, I think he used a digital camera, didn't he? Or was it, he, it, there was something about the film that was technologically innovative. And I can't remember. Well, exactly. one of the things was there, like the, he used scrims. He built the Las Vegas strip in miniature on a studio lot. So that was one of the things. And then also his use of scrims. So instead of using post techniques and editing, it was done in camera, like a scrim lighting coming up here and changing scenes. Right. So there was a series of long shots, really. I thought it was brilliant, man. And the soundtrack is out of this world. Yeah. Tom Waits and Crystal Gale. I really liked it. I thought, you know, oh, the critics were wrong again. Yeah, fuck the critics. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, that's how that was. You know, I watched some Star Wars stuff, too. There was some great Star Wars stuff that came out this week, something called Tales of the Jedi, which is an animated series of shorts. And I was like, I liked the first one so much that I decided to not watch all six in one sitting, even over it's only nine minutes. It's like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to open my Christmas present and then I'm going to let four other people open one before I open the next one. Kind of like savoring it. Very cool. Is it on Disney Plus? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what what did you view this week that you thought was great? The first episode of Reacher on Amazon Plus. I watched that again. And Reacher's so good. The series. That's on Amazon Plus. Like, I I binge-watched it when I first watched it. I was like, oh, I'll just... Because my brother was raving about it. And um, and I ended up watching it all one weekend. And Jonah started watching it, and he was talking about it. So I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go back to that. So tell us a little bit about the plot. What's the, what's the setup for this? Well, I don't want to give too much away, but basically Reacher's a mountain of a man who has a lot of military experience making him the ultimate badass. He ends up in this small Southern town and there's a couple murders and he gets involved with the investigation. And that's all I'll say, cause it'll give too much away, but it's just brilliant stuff. Like he's in the cell for um, a, 
period of time in the first episode, and he's got those plastic things on, you know, like handcuffs. Yeah, plastic handcuffs. Right, right, right. Zip tie handcuffs. Zip ties. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And so at one point, the chief is like, you know, calling him in, and um, he goes, no. And he's, the chief's all like, what? what? And he's all like, you know, these things are uncomfortable. I, you know, I want them off. And the chief goes, all right, you can take them off. Someone go get some box cutters. He's all, no, I got this. Bam. <laughs> <They're> just- <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, these aren't doing anything. The only reason I'm complying is because I want to. Right, exactly. And he has that way about him, you know, just like, just, <clears throat> oh, yeah, he's very, very cool. So that's definitely worth watching. Um, I think what has been foremost on my mind is how freaking cold it is. Yeah, it should, we as Californians should not complain when the temperature goes into the 40s. It's kind of lame, really. Hell. Are you still doing the pool? Yep. But I'm not doing it at dawn when I do my meditation. But you're still doing it. I'm still doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That is badass. That, that's what my nuts say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you know what I watched that was hella funny? Do you know the comedian uh, Burt Crusher? I think mm, not by name. Uh, he's often referred to as the machine. Yeah, no. Anyway, he had Whitney Cummings and Tim Dillon on this show he does called Burn It with Bird or something like that, like a cooking podcast thing. And it was so funny. Tim Dillon is so fucking funny. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just the three of them were having a good time. and uh, Like us. Like us, yeah. Yeah, only there's two of us. Right. We're not cooking anything. Two and a half, maybe. Art. Yeah, we got to remember Art. <laughs> Who is back from vacation? Yeah. He he was so uh, out of sorts after his trip to Vegas that he thought the meeting was yesterday. Yeah, well. That's what happens when you go to Vegas and leave everything in Vegas. <laughs> right. <laughs> Including your calendar. Yeah. Oops. I left three kids, all my money, and my briefcase in Vegas. Oh, did you ever see Falling Down? I probably did. Is that a movie? Yeah, with um, um, Ding Diddle. Doodly Dat. Ding Diddle Doodly Dat. Who married Michael uh, Douglas? Can't remember. Anyway, it's really good. Is it Michael, Michael Douglas? Who, Michael Douglas, thank you. Yes, yeah, he carries and, uh, the bat. Yeah, but the briefcase, I was just watching a few of the scenes this morning, actually, before going to work out. And that scene in the empty lot where the um, Chicano gangsters come up and tell him he's got to get off their lot. And he tries to, and then he has a bat. Yeah, and he, it's a good movie. Yeah. What is it about it that really appeals to you? How this character can think they're on the right side of everything and they're not. <laughs> and what a shock it is when they learn that they're not on the right side of things. Yeah. When the amygdala gets the better of them. And he, he did have some wonderful points just about decency and not being a jerk. and Yeah privilege people yeah well i'm reading a really cool book called triton which is as you can see a very old paperback from a box mike my friend mike yeah i was just gonna say that looks like a mike healy collector came from the healy collection and uh it's it's fascinating is that samuel r delaney it sure is Samuel R. Delaney. That's why I picked it out of the box. I'm like, oh, by the best-selling author of Dahlgren and Tales from Neverayon, Samuel R. Delaney, four-time Nebula Award winner, Triton. Huh. Yeah, it's good. All right. And uh, is it as whacked as Dahlgren? 
Well, it's the no, it's it's not. It's it's very intriguing and mentally challenging. It I had to look up three words so far reading it. Hey, speaking of that, I started listening to Salem's Lot because I really I kept going to it, you know, like to get ready for Halloween. But it was sixteen bucks. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't want to pay sixteen bucks for an audiobook. And I finally, like, after the fifth time of listening to the five minute re- preview, I was like, fuck it, just pony up the sixty bucks. Um, what's his name? I just forgot his name. The author. Can't help you there. Come on. Who did Salem's Lot, The Shining, you know, one of the Um, greatest best-selling authors of all time. Stephen King. Thank you, Stephen King. Holy Christ. Um, Anyway, his, um, you know, his prose is really wonderful. It's very sophisticated in its construction and its um, alliteration and the adjectives descriptions are colorful and full of very detailed um, ambience. Yeah. If I can speak, he writes, I'd I'd be president. (laughs) And it's, I I sense a little bit of walnut and nutmeg. (laughs) (laughs) It's got a, it's got a very good nose. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. It really is. So I'm enjoying that right now. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm involved in a task force for the Marin School Unity District that's anti-racist. Ooh, say more about that. What is the task force tasked with? To end racism for Marin County Schools. Oh, so it's the Kill Whitey um, task force? Well, that would actually seem to be counterproductive. (laughs) But there is an element of truth to that statement. It is interesting to hear, like, one of the women on the subcommittee I'm on is um, of Asian descent. And she has spoken of... Just like this weekend, she was out with her daughter in Sonoma and someone said something and, you know, she's dealing with that kind of shit. And part of what she deals with is the uh, white Marin kind of poo-pooing the whole racist experience. Yeah, there's a denial factor in there where people are still fragile about the existence of racism because of the way it would confront them to realize that they haven't really done the work. Right. And then if they're confronted, then there's the whole, like, you made me feel bad and I don't want that. (laughs) Now I have to go home to my house and watch Netflix with some wine just to recover. No, it's more like, you got to stop that. You got to stop telling the truth because it makes me feel bad. So besides this person that you're on this subcommittee with, mm-hmm. what's the um, makeup of the the group? There are, uh, well, what's super cool is there's some students involved and they have a very prominent voice in the whole task force purposefully. There's two women who are heading the whole thing. One's from like, in charge of the school district, I think. And there, and the other one is a woman of color. Um, there is a lot of white, which makes sense because Marin is a lot of white. But they are doing things like in the Zoom meetings, there is a Spanish... Um, translator so if you speak spanish and you're in the zoom meeting you could go to the spanish version of what's being said Mm -hmm. so they are doing work to really have um equity yeah prevalent yeah yeah and have you pitched them on the next round of the heal thyself course which you and i are both graduates of 
I haven't. It's definitely been on my mind, but they already have those resources that I see pretty prominent. Got it. You know, so, so there's, there's Jedi training. Here. Yeah. It's funny how that term's now been co-opted to mean justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I didn't know that. Yeah, Jedi. Justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. What I do like is in the school district official thing, whatever, you know, like the Constitution, I don't know, whatever. The charter. The legal thing. There's there's now in there to dismantle white European systematic racism in the school district and community. Like it's written in there like that. They, it sounds like they really do need the Remember Institute's Heal Thyself resources. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> I just haven't seen the appropriateness yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you that you're doing that. It's part of uh, reparations work. I don't see it that way, but I understand what you're saying. But I just see it as important. Yeah, it's better. It's better than kill Whitey. <laughs> Although, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I think we spoke. Oh, did you check out that Kanye interview? Yes, I did. The whole thing? I watched the whole thing. And what do you think? Oh, I didn't know we were going to go here. Ah! So the the interview that Greg's talking about is after Kanye made his stupid ass racist comments on various formats and then tried to double down on it in various ways. He was also on several interview programs, one of which was with a Jewish man named Lex. And I don't know his last name. Do you know yeah, his last I name? I always forget his last name, but he's a good interviewer. And they had some kind of history before where they were able to have a vulnerable and intimate conversation where Kanye was willing to let down his guard just a little bit, be a little bit vulnerable. And it was a almost two hour conversation that was, you know, at various points difficult to watch because Kanye wasn't really ready to let go of, you know, the parts of him that had had him show up the way he did in, you know, calling out people in a racist way but it was also the unpacking of the nuance behind what he was trying to communicate that he did so poorly and i think that in from my analysis listening to the interview there's some really powerful things that kanye is trying to communicate he's just very bad at communicating in a way that's digestible and he got some really good feedback and the fact that this was a jewish man who would hold him accountable was really interesting to see the back and forth between these two people and the love between them as human beings and the willingness for this guy to consider, you know, Kanye's points of view, unpack what he thought was valuable, but then say to him, like, look, that's not about them being Jewish. That's about the way that they're engineering their business. And so you're the more powerful thing would have been for you to come out around who they are as people, not their racial and religious identity and call out the practices that they're doing, pick names and talk about the, what they're doing. And um, I thought that was really powerful. I was on a podcast this week where we talked about it in, in depth. Um, and unfortunately I don't remember the name of the podcast right this second. Hmm. Oh, etching the edges it's called. And we talked about all of the ways that we're not in either polarity, like not Trump, not Dem, not, on Kanye's side, not against the idea of changing the way the entertainment industries run. Like we did all this middle uh, way stuff in the conversation. And at one point I realized, yeah, like Prince actually did this where he went after the business practices and not the people. And that became part of our conversation. And I, that, because what we talked about was the Kanye's lack of skill in trying to address the issues he was trying to address. And then it was, it dawned on me like, oh yeah, Prince did a really powerful job of raising those, um, 
concerns and articulating them. And he kind of had won his freedom back and he hadn't been really on the trail of that until he wrote the song Baltimore. And Baltimore was once again, a kind of indication of where Prince could take his voice and how he could impact things like, you know, police murders and, you know, the racism inherent in some of the ways that, you know, borders are drawn in cities around this country. And so it was, I have mixed feelings. I feel sadness and anger, sadness that, um, Kanye did such a poor job and anger about the way that impacts um, Jewish people, primarily because it emboldens people who hate them, who don't actually have anything of value to contribute. And we've seen an uptick, a huge uptick in the kind of boldness of anti-Semitic violence and threats of violence. And that's really the impact that people, Kanye didn't realize he was going to have when he did that. And that I think that's important to recognize no matter how much I appreciated his explanation after the fact. And I actually connected with what he was trying to say that had value. More overshadowing is the impact of how that emboldens hate and it creates the higher potential for violence against innocent people. And the Jewish people have been persecuted in enough and we need to deal with the issues that underlie the problems in our society and the way that people treat each other in more direct ways and less about their political or religious identity. So it'd be one thing to talk about the fact that, you know, Netanyahu just got reelected and his politics are very right wing. And it looks like that will be bad for the idea of Palestinian peace. And if you'll notice, I didn't say anything about his religion in that statement. I just talked about who he is and the fact that he's on the right wing side in the country that he lives in and that that could be problematic for a, a group of people that have been suffering. And so I think that's the model. If we want to criticize and try to shift power structures, we have to be really good about the way that we address them and the way we articulate the power, the problems and the solutions. How did you feel about it? Well, I, um, I think like you, like I, the first 10 minutes were a train wreck, you know, Kanye's all over the place, but like you said, it's almost two hours. It's an hour something. And he is saying some really vital points and the whole thing with the Jewish then, what I heard him saying, well, one, he was angry because he had Jewish managers and lawyers that he felt fucked him over that weren't really holding his best interests to heart, which is what they were hired to do. So part of what he's saying is they're Jewish and they did this. And that's what he was saying about the media. He was saying the media is owned by a Jewish gentlemen and the media is doing this. So I agree with you. What you said that has brought light to my consciousness is by calling out a fact they're Jewish is actually mudding the water because it has nothing to do with the way that individual acted. That individual acted poorly, and that's what the light should be shined on because it's an individual choice. And by calling by, so I was really glad to have listened to it because from what I was hearing amongst the noise of media was Kanye's off his rocker. He's a fucking nut job. You know, he's at it again. And when I listened to the hour and a half, I was like, actually that I, I hear a very intelligent man, definitely human. But he had some really intelligent points, and it kind of reminded me of way back when I was hearing all the shit about Reverend Farrakhan. So I decided to go see him, and my experience after that was 
what I heard was a man talking about peace. That's my experience. And then from one of my friends said, well, behind closed doors, there's a different thing going on. I said, well, I'm not behind those doors. All I have is my personal experience. And my personal experience was I was hearing a man who was about peace. And what do you think this topic that we're kind of playing with right now says about the way we talk to each other in the social comments? You and I personally, or we, the general, we, the general, we, well, I think that we predominantly like gossip and like flitting about and not really landing on anything with any depth. In fact, I was thinking about that this morning because one of the clients I do work for asked how, you know, somehow something came up and I was like, and I shared with her how yesterday morning I'd woke up and I was feeling all this darkness in me. And I was just sitting with it instead of shying away from it. And she got into it and she's like, well, son, we had this 15 minute conversation. And that's my norm. But I'm one, it doesn't seem to be the norm for a lot of the people I interact with. They're more prone to talk about a news headline and something like I heard yesterday about stress, that if you can't do anything about it, let it go. And if you can do something about it, do something. So like all these media headlines, you know, like what's his name is going to use dirty nuclear bombs because he's losing the Ukraine war. What can I do about it? Nothing right now, physically. And if I can do something about it, then I should do it. Like if writing a letter is going to do something, do it. But just going around talking about it just creates chaos and mud. And that's the way I think we communicate with each other. So what I heard you say that I connected to was there are some people that are not willing to get into the depth of certain topics and they want to deal with surface and that the reason that that's true is that it causes stress and a sense of powerlessness. I can't do anything about it. Right. And then we also like gossip, which I've trained myself not to like because of the book, the four agreements. And it talks about how gossip is a poison and we're poisoning each other with that stuff. And then when you get to the idea of, what people do with their reactions to the media is that they compartmentalize and say this bad and that that's it. They're done. There's no analysis. And I think that that surface level shunning of critical thinking is part of why we have the problems we have. Yeah. Is because you're basically othering people when you do that. And as mm -hmm. you and I have learned, we're not separate. We're not others. We're all in the same big boat together, you know, and I can connect really easy to ways that that doesn't like I fall into that trap myself, but I aspire to having a greater consciousness about the things that I have resistance to or judgment about. And I, actually have trained myself to seek depth in conversation. And that's one of the things I love about the moped outlaws is that we're really willing to get on our moped and investigate. We're really willing to go to the depths of shallow aspects of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, With a sense of humor and, uh, you know, and it's really hard to have a sense of humor about the war in Ukraine and, you know, that sort of thing. You know, and there shouldn't necessarily be a humor about that. Um, but at the same time, when we're all so busy trying to survive in this economic system that we barely have time to get through, you know, caring for ourselves properly, let alone actually spending time to investigate deeply a subject and learn the nuances of what might appear to be something different. Or, or that we want to, we're told should be put in the bad pile. Um, it's no wonder that we don't have the bandwidth to have 
complex, difficult conversations with people we disagree about. And unfortunately, those complex discussions with people we disagree with, that's the path to healing because everyone is then able to deconstruct their fear and judgment of the other through the recognition of what it is that we share in common. And the great hope of the United States was that we would have a way to do that. The idea that we were all able to worship how we wanted, say what we thought, and vote according to our conscience. So was supposed we were to white Protestants. Well, the, the, you know, again, the the aspiration and what we're trying to do now is to actually bring that tr- to to fruition as opposed to stuck where it was. And there's a lot of people that have vested interests in maintaining the power structure. And so there's this big struggle going on. But what do we do about that? Well, for one thing, one of the most important things is that people need to have something that they can believe has a possibility of being the path forward. There needs to be a vision that's articulated that says this is a way forward. And one of the things that bothers me about negativity and cancel culture is that at every turn, we're snipping the vine of that before it even has a chance to flower because people are so hung up on cancel culture and othering people and that'll never work and blah, blah, blah. And so then it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe cancel culture is the vine that's growing. Well, in some ways, sure. Like we do have to nip and and cut away cancerous attitudes in ourselves and in the body politic, in the commons, the social commons. But if we do it reflexively because someone else told us right. bad, right. then we aren't having the conversation. We aren't actually arriving at a healed place. We're just perpetuating the cut, cut and dry mentality of other bad like we could talk about uh elon musk and what he did with twitter and it's the same thing like i had a conversation with some friends and it went bad quickly because i was like (laughs) i'm very i'm i'm interested to see what he does and they're like he's gonna let other people talk that we don't want to talk and i'm like yeah we're all supposed to be able to talk i haven't seen a lot of that like there's a gentleman i follow who's a man of color and he used to be a teacher and he's got profound insights like it's like remember institute his his thing he's like on that level and he was going off about twitter and how ah we knew this here the racist you know we know elon musk is a white supremacist and here come the racist things right everyone's made up their mind that it's going to be evil that elon's evil and that he's going to let evil voices talk and i'm like you know what Evil voices. I grew up listening to walking the streets of Berkeley and at Sproul Plaza, and there were weird communists and devil worshipers and all kinds of people talked. And most of the really dark and ugly things were no one was standing there listening. They were over hanging out with, you know, the guys in the drum circle. And that's my attitude is that, you know what, when my friends who are left and who want to espouse this idea of a better world start to become reflective reflexive and reactive and fearful about just someone being able to type some letters into a social media platform. I get, I get upset with them because I expect better. I expect the, some kind of belief in the, the idea of critical thinking. And what well, they're really saying is we can't trust people to not get sucked into that. And they're you, also were, saying, you, you are in that boat though, because Kanye, his original thing was a tweet and Part of what happened is the Nazis are on the highway over things, you know, with their chaos feeling more open because of what he tweeted. So what your friends are saying is happened, that has happened, is happening. Like someone does a little yeah, but tweet. The question, the question of whether that's actually bad for us or not is a, another question, because when we get these things out in the open and we know that because our neighbor's finally bold enough to put a swastika on his lawn, then we know who we're dealing with. I agree. I'm cool with that because I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to live in a a retracted compartmentalized, you know, society. I want to live in a brave open society and I'm perfectly willing to confront people directly. And so my attitude around 
Kanye and Elon is that, yeah, if they hadn't done what they're doing, the conversation wouldn't be moving forward in the way that it is. And I think that's ultimately healthy that we, we have to compartmental, we have to put aside our biases and have the difficult conversations and then arrive at a new consensus on a daily basis. Um, you know, I think laying thousands of people off is a horrific thing to do, right? That's sort of violates the do no harm policy. And it, you know, there's something nefarious about that. That's capitalist ugly in its best form. Well, I think it's capitalism. You know, he spent X amount of money to buy Twitter. He wants his money back. And to do that, he's got to raise the profit of Twitter. And one of the quick ways to do that is you get rid of people. Right. Exactly. And that's a problem because getting rid of people, that's 4,000 people. Let's just say times four. If there's a family of four that they're, you know, supporting that's 16,000 people that are paying the cost of him, the billionaire being able to buy the toy he wants. And I think that's a problem. Like, you know what? He wants to make the blue dot that says you're uh, a legit who you say you are blue dot be $8. Like, you know what? Don't fire 4,000 people and tell me that the way that you're going to keep paying those 4,000 people is if I pay 20 bucks a year for my blue dot and I'm in. Because at that point, like how many Twitter users are there? Let's just go with, you know, half a billion. Let's just say 500 million Twitter users, which is probably low. And if what's 20 times 500 million? I don't know. But here's the ten thing. billion dollars. Yeah, so he spent more than that, right? But buy it. You could definitely pay for all those four thousand people out of uh, that ten billion dollars. Not and everyone had that flu. Wait, wait. And in and five, listen. Let me finish. In five years, at ten billion dollars a year, you got all that money back, and everybody kept their job. And he wouldn't get that because you and I don't have blue dots. I might have bought one yesterday. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You can't buy them yet. No, you can't buy them. And you have to like you have to have reason for them. They aren't just bought. Yeah, you can. He's that's what he's doing. He's you can, oh, he's saying anyone could get a blue check now. Yep. Yeah, and you, you just, just have to pay it. your subscription. That's so funny. It's like the sneeches because it used yep, to be exactly <laughs> exactly right. And so that that was how I someone, someone posted a Sneeches meme, and then I was like, "What? Really? Oh my god! So, That's so funny." What was that guy's name who had the machine? Do you remember? That's fucking. Uh, no. That's a trivia Sneeches question. Machine? Yeah, I don't know. McDonald, McDougal, McDoonal, like that. A Mc, a nickname for some reason. Yeah. Doctor Seuss like like names that had lots of syllabic and you know. Well, he liked pattern. he liked words that rolled around in the mouth and tumbled like marbles. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I live in this very um, precarious place where people on the left hate me and people on the right hate me because I don't. <laughs> I'm not willing to take sides. <laughs> oh my god there's a comic joey avery who um when i was doing stand-up seriously he my path crossed his a couple times and he just did a comedy uh central taping he's doing really well anyway he's got a bit i'll share it with you he said it got cut <clears throat> and um, it's brilliant it's so good I'll share it with you. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, for you reminded me of like, still- he, he has, that's not in this bit, but he said like how his haircut is supposed to have him liked by everybody. Like in California, all right, dude, you look great. In the South, you're my bro. All right. You know, I just. I love it. Like this sort of mullet thing. Go, anyway. and I was thinking about this the other day because, of course, I shave my head. And here I am like saying, yeah, well, Kanye had something to, to say. And, you know, I kind of like Elon. And, and people are like, oh, <laughs> and I realized I'm a skinhead, but yeah. I'm not a skinhead air quotes. Right. Like right. I'm a hippie skinhead. 
Like maybe yeah. I should get a mandala tattooed on top and an. Maybe you should get a red hat. Oh, could go with your red nose. <laughs> I need a funny thing for it to say that like ra- that rhymes with MAGA, like make America gay again, or um, yeah, that's things exactly. like that. <laughs> I gotta make I'm that not gay, shirt. so that's not necessarily a good thing for me to yeah. do that. With um, I think it's fine. I'm gonna make that shirt for me. Make America gay again. Okay. That'll get you more dates. <laughs> the wrong kind. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Blowjobs are just blowjobs. No With a blindfold. The of the mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, no beards, please. <laughs> the bearded lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, and as usual, we go from the heights of consciousness down, 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 down to the depths of our biases. All right. All right. Let's put it back because you shared with me earlier, you're going to post an offer online. Yeah. I woke up this morning thinking about this thing that is happening on that happened on Friday where um, all of these people got laid off from Twitter. And I was like. That's crazy. And I'm like, well, wait, I'm a coach. I could help people. They're not, those people are not feeling good this week. And some of them are probably going to land on their feet. They might have offers already, but a whole bunch of them are like, what the heck do I do? Who am I? What world do I live in? And I'm like, well, I'd love to help them. You know what my skills, I mean, I'm a coach. I have a pretty busy schedule, but I can find a way to fit in more people. So On Friday, on all my socials, I released an invitation to anybody that's been laid off to have three free coaching sessions with me. And I think I'm going to cap it at 100 people if I even get 100 responses, because I don't know how I'm going to manage this. But I'm just like, I believe in the spirit of generosity and I believe in an abundant world and I believe that I'm abundant in the things that I have to offer. And so... Yeah, I need clients that I can charge money and survive with, but I also need to be of service. I need to be beyond the duality of money and really embody what my values are by stepping forward and just saying, hey, people, I want to help you. And so that's what I'm doing. Recording stopped.